following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, one and all, episode 804 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the irascible, lovely, talented, and scholarly co-host, Brittany Page. So we are back from another wedding, and this time... COVID-free! So far, this time. So far. So far, COVID-free. We will see how things go. So far, so good. Well, we found out right the fuck away last time. Pretty quickly, pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. This time we stayed right here in D.C., so we didn't need to travel, which was nice, and it was a beautiful wedding. I was going to say fantastic wedding experience. Pretty great. One of the best wedding experiences. Oh, without, it's the best wedding I've ever been to. Oh. Yeah, for, no, for sure, hands down, no fucking question. Well, it was the wedding of uh, a former guest of the show. That is correct. And uh, you may remember at Team Ian, which has been, uh, he's been on the show several times. and his, Which has been, yeah, like he's an object. I corrected myself. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. And his brother, Jonathan, they formerly hosted a podcast. I think it is now defunct. It is what they refer to in the biz as pod faded it, it was a very nice show a very nice show huh <laughs> yeah it was a show I, I i enjoyed i in fact i'm trying to pressure these donkeys to to get back in the in the game yeah so jonathan and rachel got married congratulations to them fantastic vows by the way just wonderful yeah listen impressive writing the audience knows well full well that i am a boobish crier Mm-hmm. I am not ashamed or I'm an unabashed crier. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm an emotional guy. Uh-huh. And I especially love love. Mm-hmm. And when you mix really creative, well done writing with the love, expressing and explaining the love, it's just, I'm, I'm fucking donezo. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, A lot of tears were shed by Jesse D. They were some of the best vows that I have ever heard at a wedding and it was it was just really great it was a nice celebration with friends and it was just a great time so great venues great people we met some people we've never obviously when you go to a wedding you meet people you never you've never met before and we had occasion to meet some of their childhood friends and whatever and it was just a just all around great great little saturday it was (laughs) so again we are so far, COVID-free, hoping it stays that way. You keep saying we're in that like protective window where we should be safe for a while, and hopefully that's the case, so we're not just alternating event, COVID, event, COVID. <laughs> but we are excited because this weekend we are going to the Poor People's Campaign March on Washington, which is this Saturday, the 18th in D.C. So It, it is the Poor People and Low-Wage Workers Moral March on Washington and... To the polls. It's it's quite the mouthful. So if you are in the D.C. area and you're going to the march and you see us there, say hello. Just look for the giant oafish ginger 
in a fight poverty, not the poor t-shirt. Wow. Really uh, putting yourself out there. Making yourself a mark. I think that I, well, one, if anybody is looking to harm me, (laughs) they know what I look like. They've Mm -hmm. done their due diligence. Yeah. I would hope that an audience member would just want to harm me with just a real tight hug. Now they know what you're going to be wearing, which is... (laughs) Normally, they'd have to wait for a couple days to see it on YouTube. Yeah. (laughs) Not good. Yeah. It's going to be fine, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not actually worried, so... And we are actually really looking forward to it. It's an organization that you you turned me on to. I had no idea who who they were, Uh, the Reverend William Barber. And uh, they're doing good work that is important, especially in today's day and age and, you know, with the economy that we have where, you know, the the, the disparity between haves and have-nots is, is wider than it ever, ever has been. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we are looking forward to that. Yeah. So look for content on YouTube in the days after the march because it's going to take a little bit to to put the footage together into a, an actual video but we're planning on going there and talking to people and and filming some stuff so definitely look out for that absolutely so as we do we're going to start with some listener communication today for those of you who have not called we would encourage you to take part in the conversation help us move the conversation forward 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com let's start Brittany, with a couple of emails that we have concerning the episode that we did with Aaron Rabinowitz from the Embrace the Void podcast and Philosophers in Space, uh, number 801, I believe was the number. Correct. About luck. Yes. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. I loved episode 801 with Aaron Rabinowitz. I listened to it twice because I was multitasking the first time and wanted to understand the theory better. It was a great discussion, but I'm not persuaded. I take issue with the framing of hard work in the discussion that you had. I understand the idea that perseverance is a component of hard work. It also makes sense that if you go back far enough, there is some instance of luck that allows you to make a particular decision. I had not thought of it in those terms before, but I get it. I was not convinced that there is a direct or but for causation. I have always thought of hard work being things like showing up, doing your best work, studying hard for the test. My son is lucky in that he picks up things quickly in school. He doesn't always get grades that reflect his ability. I would suggest that his failure to put in his best effort at times or to follow up on missing work is not a matter of luck, but a matter of not trying, of not capitalizing on his luck. The other thing that struck me is there was not much discussion about good luck versus bad luck. I had the good luck of having great parents growing up. I had the bad luck of losing them both early in life. I would love to listen to more content like this. Best of luck, Kelly. Well, thank you, Kelly. Um, I do remember there being, there was a brief touch on good luck, bad luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I think I think that is the case. There was somewhere in there we did talk about that a little bit. Maybe not as much as people would have liked. Yes, I think that that's probably what Kelly was getting at. And uh, as far as the, I'm with, I think I'm with Kelly. The, the I like that turn of phrase that it's a matter of capitalizing on the luck. And that's something that maybe I could have more articulately described to Aaron. I mean, there's no convincing this fucking guy. He knows what he knows. <laughs> he believes what he believes. Um, but, but that's the camp I'm in. That absolutely. We've talked many, many times about luck and that we, we give the lion's share of where we are today. Um, 
credit to luck. But there, I, I still, I, there is a component of hard work and capitalizing on the luck. So. Yeah. Well, this next email is also about the luck episode. And <laughs> I think given the listener response to that episode, it may be worth having Aaron back again and just kind of going through listener questions for him and, and having him answer listener questions and having the listeners really put him to the test. Yeah, maybe we should do like a live stream YouTube thing mm-hmm. where he can be remote and we can do a thing. Well, we'll figure something out, but it, I I think the audience would be interested in that. Yeah. Really so, having some opportunity to interact in real time. Right. So here is the next email. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I am a longtime listener, a longtime patron, and a one-time guest. I have been following the show for years and can safely say that episode 801 with Aaron Rabinowitz is one of my favorite episodes. It is certainly my favorite special guest show, mine included. (laughs) (laughs) I have always believed that luck, both good and bad, has an outsized influence on success or a lack thereof in most of life's ventures. Finding an audience for any artistic endeavor, podcasting, writing, acting, is always a toss of the dice. You can sink money into advertising, use the best tools, and practices of your particular trade and self-promote until you and everybody else in the world is sick of hearing about your bullshit, but nothing guarantees <laughs> success. I probably fall a little closer to Jesse's idea of the luck to hard work balance, but Aaron makes a great argument. I started listening to Embrace the Void immediately after 801 and we'll start Philosophers in Space next. Great episode and thank you for introducing us to Aaron Rabinowitz, Brian Knight. Wow. Thank you, Brian. Um, I am, I feel compelled to say this, that I think Aaron is, one, wildly fucking smart. He's a very intelligent guy. And there was, there was a comment in some Facebook group or something that I saw where someone was communicating that they thought that there was, like, contention between myself and Aaron during the episode, which... Oh yeah, couldn't be farther from the truth. Mm-hmm. We were we got along fucking famously, mm-hmm. as the gentleman scholar Forrest Gump put it, like peas and carrots. Well, he was also here all weekend, so if we were having a bad time, then that suggests we had a really bad weekend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he spent the whole weekend here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I really do enjoy uh, to to echo Brian's sentiment. And also Kelly, I believe, said this, that really enjoy episodes like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are the people out there that you think would be able to replicate that that type of communication and talk about something as complex and also some, a topic that touches on everybody's life, we want to hear. We, we would love to do more more episodes like this. We also love talking to fun academics and not academics who come on and are kind of prepared for like an NPR interview. Oh yeah. And that they kind of get what's going on here and play along. We, we get like, we've had Alan Francis who is like a co-author of the DSM, the diagnostic statistical manual for psychological disorders. Is that what it is? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't call him a co-author. He definitely was on the, uh, Committee. Did, he, did he help write it? He helped write some diagnoses uh, in it. But, There's I mean, probably it's, many co-authors. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's a guy who is... Who can do the stodgy, robotic, just the facts, ma'am, kind of a kind of a kind uh, an interview. Mm-hmm. But who also gets it and doesn't mind shitting on me and having a good time. Yeah. Those are the best. I'm really going far afield here, but... 
Yeah. So if you want to check out Brian Knight's episode, by the way, because he kind of talked about how he was on the show in his email, he was on back in November of 2019, episode 633, and he's the author of several books, several short stories, mostly within the horror genre. I think that's And he right. actually wrote a short story about me and Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is fantastic, <laughs> and I absolutely loved. So if you want to check out that episode, it's another great one. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Kelly. We appreciate you uh, very much. Let's get to some voicemails. Hi, this is Charity calling from Ohio. Um, I am an election official. Um, I've worked four elections now. Um, I was listening to your recent um, podcast and um, the part of the podcast where they were talking about um, how they were going to send in people to check the Republican Party was. And I will say as... Sorry, that's my air fryer. Nothing's about to explode. Um, so anyway, um, my point is, it is incredibly um, difficult to defraud uh, a voter or to um, mess up the ballot system. Um, not only do I have to verify your signature, but I have to verify your face from your ID. There are only particular forms of ID that we can accept by law. Um and then once I hand you that ballot, I can no longer touch it. can't touch it ever again. It has to go with you. You have to make your choices. You have to put them in the machine. At the end of the night, things are collected in a bag. Again, we do not touch the ballots. They literally drop into a bag. That bag is sealed and locked. Two representatives from each party then take it to a drop-off point. Um, so it is really difficult um, to fraudulently vote, uh, in Ohio anyway, in Cincinnati. So, um, and, uh, I'm, <laughs> I love being an election official, um, and I encourage everyone to go out and vote. Um, and if you have the time and the energy, it's really fun. And, um, yeah, so that's just, um, a little part of the election process in Ohio. So thanks. And of course, Sweet pea is now the best part. Bye. <laughs> you will not get an argument here from either side of the table. She is now that she's sleeping. Yeah, though she is. That will we'll move on. Uh, so I I want I really would like to impress upon everybody that if you do have the time, like like uh, Charity said, uh, or the energy or whatever, to 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 look into getting involved because especially with the onslaught of Republicans who are partisans and want to be partisans and want to challenge votes, we need other people to join the team and be able to have their eyes on the ground and be witnesses of things that are taking place. If it's only Republicans that are volunteering, we're going to be in really, really dire straits. Mm -hmm. And that isn't just the case with, I mean, every state has its particular uh, processes related to the chain of custody with with ballots and all that, but every state is secure and has the rules set in place in order to protect the vote and protect the structure of democracy itself. Uh, Ohio is not unique in that way. Um, that's why that's what makes all of the fringe conspiracy theories that were promoted by Donald Trump and his entourage of idiots so egregious because. 
That's not the way it works. You don't just get to bring in b- piles and piles of, of cases and boxes of ballots off of trucks and shit. That's not how it works. Suitcases? Suitcase. Well, no, there, there was someone who claimed to have driven a tractor trailer filled with ballots from New York to, I believe, Pennsylvania. Come on. Yeah, I was mentioning the suitcase thing, which we've heard at the January 6th committee hearings as well, that like Sean Hannity pushed that Donald Trump saw the suitcase and a suitcase full of ballots became something that everyone was worried about at the time. Ugh, just fucking dumb. Anyway, Charity, thank you for the call. We appreciate it very much. Uh, Moving on to Noah in North Carolina. Um, hey, Brittany and Jesse, it's Nova from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I just called Brenner to re-record this message because I wanted to add something. Um, but I was just watching Jesse's latest video breaking down the seven parts of the conspiracy to overturn the election results. Um, and I wanted to guide his attention the fact that John Eastman, lawyer who planned the Green Bay Sweep, uh, used to clerk for Justice Clarence Thomas, whose wife we know in trying to overturn the election. It's an interesting fact, and it's one that I haven't seen many people talking about um, online, and I just think that it adds to the list of things that uh, disqualify Justice Clarence Thomas from being a justice on the Supreme Court. Additionally, in the video you were talking about uh, Georgia's Secretary of State, and everybody does this, and I really just don't get it. His name is not Raffensperger. It doesn't have a B. It's Raffensperger, and he purges the voting rolls of Georgia. It's a perfect innuendo to be saying the word purge. Like, his name is not Berger. I don't know why everyone says that. Okay, love you guys. Bye. Yeah, I think I do mispronounce it. I don't, I don't think I do. I know I do. But the reason I think I call it, because it's just easy. It rolls off the tongue easier. We'll say it. R- Raffensperger is what I say. But oh. it is Raffensperger. Yeah. Which is, for me, it's just a little harder. It's like, it, it is easier to say nuclear. Nuclear. That's, but it's not. It's fucking nuclear. Uh-huh. So it's just me being a dumb fuck. So, so let me take this opportunity to thank you, Noah, for pointing out my dumb fuckery on an international stage. Well, <laughs> and this is the nice thing about having people listen to you talk, which is inevitably there's going to be someone who hears you pronounce something in a very dumb way. Yeah. And lets you know. So it's helpful because hopefully now you will. I'm going to try to do better. Work on yourself. Do well, some internal reflection. It's like recently. And really clean up your act. Not recently. Like our first few weekends here, we had an old buddy of mine, uh, Mike Falzerano, one of my best oldest friends from the Marine Corps over for the weekend. Are you okay to drop the full name? I'll fucking drop all the names. Okay. And I use the word, that doesn't really jive with me. Uh-huh. J-A-V-E, mm-hmm. as I can't even spell that. And he very quickly corrected me. And I love when people, when I'm saying a fucking word wrong and I get corrected, now I know the real word. It's not jive, it's jibe with a B. Uh-huh. And so I have now extricated myself or that word from my vocabulary, jive, or at least using it that way. 
you just don't say it anymore. No, You're I like, say That's jibe. off limits for now me I now. I say jive. <laughs> I say it correctly. So thank you, mm-hmm. Noah. We appreciate it. And I'm sure that Brad Raffensperger also appreciates that one more person in the world is going to say his his name correctly. I love how you think it's harder to say it. Raffensperger. It's just weird. It's fucking weird. <laughs> it's weird. So uh, to the point, though, the reason I don't... I, I did know that he clerked for Clarence Thomas. That For me, I got to really be careful about slipping into conspiracy land and territory. And there's no, in, there's no indictment. There's no... For me, it's it doesn't add to the to the legitimacy of the conspiracy he entered into, um, the fact that he clerked for Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. This 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 network, this circle, this orbit of 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 idiots, these Federalist Society weirdos. It's kind of a small group. I mean, it is large, but it, it's not hard to 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 draw lines between these people. Yeah. So you the, mean. Until there's like a specific connection yeah. that would make that interesting to talk about, you're not talking about well, that. Well, also, I have to be responsible as someone with even the, the, the small audience that we have, both on YouTube and a podcast. Um, and I mean that relative. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, shut up, you got a big audience. Yeah, it's big, but it's not as big as some. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be responsible and careful about not sending people like... We don't want people to make their mind up about the things that are happening because of the fact that he clerked for Clarence Thomas. It's an interesting little factoid, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it adds any weight to the argument when we have so much evidence of his plan to overthrow the election through uh, interfering in the electoral college count and certification of the electoral college count. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But great call, Noah. Thank you very much. Love being corrected. It is absolutely one of my faves. And I'm not even, I mean, I'm saying it funny, but, and I'm saying hilariously. Yeah. Well, while, but we're, it's true. while we're on the topic of YouTube, we did get a message from Jay, a co-host of the podcast that we went on a few months ago, Film Crickets. Mm-hmm. And Jay wrote, hey guys, not sure if you have any control over what ads YouTube places during the Dollamore Daily videos or not. I noticed that Ben Shapiro had an ad during one of your videos promoting his what is a woman bullshit. Just figured I'd let you know in case you have a say in it. I think that prick doesn't need any more attention. Hope you're doing well. Take care, Jay. I agree with all of that. I think it's also... I, I mean, don't have any control. Ben Shapiro may be promoting it, but I think Matt Walsh is really kind of the ringleader on that, right? It's like his documentary, and I'm saying that with heavy, fat, insane air quotes. Yeah, So, but this is a good question. We get it somewhat often, and no, there's zero control that you have over what ads run on your videos like before you have control over the ads that you read during your videos and in fact you've yeah. turned down many companies because of reasons i've i've said no to more companies than i've said yes to so for reasons like there are legitimate reasons that you will say no to certain things just because you don't want to promote them yeah, you I don't, don't think that crypto. they're valid that, that kind of shit don't rep crypto don't rep companies that like do this is for men you know <laughs> yeah well i'm not gonna name the companies now well, that's because why they I'm might avoiding. change their shit but yeah. there's also been like survivalist prepper companies that really were really brushing up against conspiracy psycho territory well they need to make up for the loss of tbn that's that's well yeah where are they supposed to go jim baker they're yeah. gonna come to you <laughs> 
Well, I look like one of them. That's yeah. why. Well, you have the cadence. You have the voice. They're really like, he can sell it. He can do it. I thought Rush Limbaugh died. Who's this guy? Now, come over here and take a look at these buckets, guys. <laughs> this is exactly what you need. Get all the rice and beans you can store in your attic, y'all. For the rest of your life. All right. Sweepy is no longer asleep. <laughs> She's unhappy about it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, thank you, everybody, for the calls. We appreciate the emails, the calls, the communication very much. If you, too, would like to sound off about these or any other matter that is on your mind, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash podcast. We would like to give a shout out to our new Patreon supporters. No E. No E. Florence M. Florence M. Gary M. Gary M. And Brandon K. Brandon K. And then we want to give a special shout out to our Patreon supporters who increased the pledge, and that would be Scott G. Scott G. But also to our Patreon supporters who became annual Patreon supporters. Patrick B. Patrick B. And Kathy R. Kathy R. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So generous. So thoughtful. So kind of the Patreon supporters to continue supporting us. And my heart is swelling. As you may have heard, Patreon has activated the annual patreon subscriber option which will save you 10 percent. that's right if you become a patreon supporter today wow. one of these buckets will go out to you no. um filled with rice and beans y'all you get 10 percent off you get 10 percent off that seems like a great deal and of course if you are a new patreon supporter you get the stickers to welcome you you get the magnet which was last year's while gift. supplies last while supplies last it's On gonna it's gonna last for a while and you <laughs> <laughs> of course will get the end of your patreon gift which we haven't yet decided what it is and if you are in the specific tier for the Hangouts, you also get the monthly Hangout that we do on Zoom, which is at the end of the month, the last Saturday of every month. This month, it's going to be June 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Perfectly done. The first, the second time I've done it right. Fantastic. <laughs> so anyway, we love you guys. Thank you so much for all your support, your loyalty, your listenership. It means the world to us. And I think it also means the world to Brad Raffensperger. All right, <laughs> moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we had the second day of the January 6th committee hearings on Monday, and we're not going to cover it as intensively as we did the first night. 
some of that just plays into the fact that uh, the themes were kind of consistent with the first night, I would say. It just kind of went deeper into testimony from Trump insiders, uh, really illustrating how unhinged Donald Trump became after the election related to his election fraud claims. Yeah, and also the first day was really the prime time, catch your attention, get you interested enough to keep following the during the day, or at least go back and rewatching it on YouTube or something. It was really the 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 main attraction that first night. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and it kind of laid the uh, groundwork. It laid the game plan. And the next hearing is going to be Thursday afternoon. It was supposed to be tomorrow on Wednesday, but it got postponed. So we don't know why yet, but they postponed it. Yeah, uh, but we're not going to get into some of the more exciting clips, like Donald Trump talking about big massive dumps or Rudy Giuliani and um, how inebriated he was suggesting that Donald Trump just say that the election was fraudulent. All of these various tidbits came out and were funny and gave you a moment of levity, but we're going to talk about what we think is kind of the more important aspect of of the hearing on Monday. And that was the way that Donald Trump used the election lies to fundraise and grift and make a lot of money. They did dumps, big, massive dumps. <laughs> I guess we cannot get away from the big, massive dumps. Oh, they did dumps, big, massive dumps. No matter what we do. Anyway, here's the clip that Brittany's actually talking about. Mr. Chairman, at this time, I'd ask for unanimous consent to include in the record a video presentation describing how President Trump used the lies he told to raise millions of dollars from the American people. These fundraising schemes were also part of the effort to, to disseminate the false claims of election fraud. Without objection, so... My name is Amanda Wick, and I'm Senior Investigative Counsel with the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Between Election Day and January 6th, the Trump campaign sent millions of fundraising emails to Trump supporters, sometimes as many as 25 a day. The emails claimed the, quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election and encourage them to, quote, fight back. But as the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small-dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed. I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Is it fair to say the election defense fund was another, is it, I think we called it a marketing tactic? Yes. And tell us about these funds as marketing tactics. Uh, just a topic matter for, uh, where money could potentially go to be, how money could potentially be used. The claims that the election was stolen were so successful, President Trump and his allies raised $250 million, nearly $100 million in the first week after the election. On November 9th, 2020, President Trump created a separate entity called the Save America PAC. Most of the money raised went to this newly created PAC, not to election-related litigation. 
The Select Committee discovered that the Save America PAC made millions of dollars of contributions to pro-Trump organizations, including $1 million to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' Charitable Foundation, $1 million to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials, $204,857 to the Trump Hotel Collection, and over $5 million to Event Strategies, Inc., the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. The evidence developed by the Select Committee highlights how the Trump campaign aggressively pushed false election claims to fundraise, telling supporters it would be used to fight voter fraud that did not exist. The emails continued through January 6th, even as President Trump spoke on the ellipse. 30 minutes after the last fundraising email was sent, the Capitol was breached. So I think the big question that people are starting to ask themselves is whether or not this is going to sway some of the people that have been duped. Some, yes. You believe that some people will be swayed? Yeah, some. Some of the people that have been duped. Yeah, I think people are are alarmed by that number. $250 million, a quarter of a billion dollars was raised for the election defense fund that didn't even exist. It was a fucking grift, an absolute scam. I mean, they paid out of that money Kimberly Guilfoyle, $60,000 to speak for like uh, 100 and not even 200 seconds. Mm-hmm. Just an introduction of, of someone on the, on the stage at the Stop the Steal rally. And they paid her 60 grand donors money. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know because don't, we don't really traffic with a bunch of Trump people. But I have been seeing reporters who have reached out to some. And they're... People are alarmed by this. Well, and I mean, you heard going through the list of various amounts that went out to, to different Trump staff foundations, yeah. for example. And again, this is just, I, I hope that anyone who donated to this campaign and was invested in that would be able to take a step back and kind of take this in and realize what has happened to them. The unfortunate thing, I think, is it's going to require that they admit that they were mistaken. Yeah, and think, that they were duped. I, I think there's also an element of they're kind of trained. You know, there's a high percentage of of white Republicans who are evangelical Christians who have pastors who are just fucking grifters as well, who drive big fancy cars. Your Joel Austins live in ostentatious houses, dress like weirdos, and are taking church money, not paying taxes with it. So they're used to money being misused. Mm-hmm. I mean, Donald Trump gave like a million dollars to some foundation of Mark Meadows. Mm-hmm. And that money's going to be used in whatever way it's going to be used. It's not going to all be for charity. We're learning, especially in the Trump orbit, these monies get abused. They get spent on Tim Tebow jerseys and fucking portraits of Donald Trump. They kind of do what they fucking want. Yeah, well, I mean, you have many obstacles. One of them is how are these facts going to kind of penetrate the bubble that many people have put themselves in and that Fox news is helping to keep them in where they may not even be 
having these facts delivered to their ears. It may not even be something that they have access to. But let's say that they do get this information. They do get these facts. Then you're up against tribalism and how they will inevitably have concerns that this is a quote unquote witch hunt, that this is Democrats coming for Republicans, trying to make Republicans look bad. Then you have the obstacle of people that have to admit they were wrong. And as as we know, people don't like doing that. I mean, you love that. You've just had to admit you were wrong twice on the show, and but it's your favorite thing. So it's different for you. But <laughs> most people... No, listen, I'm not acting like it's, it's some massive percentage of Trump supporters that are going to be coming around, but they're certainly more and more and more over time are starting to wake up to... Some of this stuff just can't be ignored anymore. It can't be denied anymore. Obviously, your 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 most recalcitrant members and supporters of Donald Trump will never people who think that JFK Jr. is getting ready to come back on the scene from the dead who was he was never dead and he's going to be the vice president well wasn't he just supposed to and he, he who knows what I'm <laughs> no, saying I think they is, were marching in DC yeah, for it those people aren't going to be swayed but there's a certain reasonable element out there let me check that they're not reasonable but they're reasonable enough to be brought back into the fold of, of, of rationality, I think. They can be made to recognize reason. Yeah, there's some some level of persuasion that, that will be that will be effective on them, I think. Yes. And it's repetition, I believe. Hearing this over and over and over with different elements. I mean, listen, Donald Trump raised $100 million, over $100 million, just for his inauguration that was abused. And here we have another $250 million in just the first few days after the election and after the insurrection. Yeah. It's, it's got to be alarming to some folks. Yeah, so going, going back to this, this uh, concern about how these funds were spent, uh, they actually do bring up the issue of Kimberly Guilfoyle in this clip. Every American is entitled and encouraged to participate in our electoral process. Political fundraising is part of that. Small dollar donors use scarce disposable income to support candidates and causes of their choosing to make their voices heard. And those donors deserve the truth about what those funds will be used for. Throughout the committee's investigation, we found evidence that the Trump campaign and its surrogates misled donors as to where their funds would go and what they would be used for. So not only was there the big lie, there was the big ripoff. Donors deserve to know where their funds are really going. They deserve better than what President Trump and his team did. And Jamie, uh, committee member Zoe Lofgren used the end of today's hearing to talk about how much money the Trump campaign raised off the big lie. She calls it the big ripoff. And she said that members of the Trump family were benefiting from the scheme. Uh, after the hearing, I asked about, I asked her about it. Take a listen. For example, we know that um, Guilfoyle was paid uh, for the introduction she gave at the speech. I mean, on January 6th, she received compensation for that. But is that a, is that a crime? I'm not saying it's a crime, but I think it's a grift. 
Kim Guilfoyle, uh, obviously Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance. Right. Um, what role does the money from the big lie play in this investigation? I think this is a critical part of the investigation. There was a team called the Green Team, and it was just to go after this, follow the money. I've spoken to people about this. They don't know where it goes as far as could there be criminal charges. But there are real questions here, Jake. $250 million that was raised. And one of the things I was told by a source close to the committee is they hope that Trump supporters understand that not only was there a lie here about election fraud, but to add insult to injury, uh, Trump and his allies came and took their money by playing on that. And it seems reasonable to me, it seems a reasonable request or a reasonable assertion that an investigation could be launched just to look into where this money went. Mm -hmm. Because if the money was demanded or requested and they promised they were going to do something with it and then they did something entirely different with it, that's fraud. That was That is ill-begotten. And that can't be allowed... I mean, listen, if we can't indict a, 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 a sitting president because, oh, we can't do that. That's, oh, they're too high mighty. But we also can't indict a the former guy. What the fuck? I, I mean, that's not ostensibly what we what we stand for, what we should be allowing. Well, and this is what the primary frustration is with someone like Trump is that he has had a lifetime of behaving this way. Of yeah, defrauding it's become, people. It's pattern and practice now. Yeah, and and without consequence. I mean, there have been attempts to give him consequences, to intervene with consequences, but yeah. that hasn't happened. And here he is approaching whatever age we talked about. I didn't even commit it to memory because it's so unimportant. Yeah, whatever, yeah. who cares? Um, but I think that the, the big problem I'm seeing is congressional Republicans aren't outspoken about supporting the January 6th committee. Like if they do support it, they're just like not actively condemning it. Yeah, it is. Um, I did an interview just a couple hours ago with Farron Cousins for Ring of Fire. That's going to be up sometime, sometime before Monday, I guess. And uh, it's something we talked about. And I said, for me, the, the really troubling thing isn't that you've got Rudy Giuliani's and Lynn Woods and Sidney Powell's and dumb fucks like that. The real problem for me is that you've got a, a bunch of people who are ostensibly reasonable and rational professionals, like his campaign manager and others, Bill Barr, who didn't come right out and forcefully say, no, 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 this is wrong. Absolutely not. They, they, weren't, they were quiet. They were silent. And in their silence is complicity with the lie. Mm -hmm. And it is what was the force, the silence was the force behind convincing hundreds of millions, maybe, of Americans that there was fraud in the election and that Donald Trump actually won. Well, and think of how meaningful it would be. And, and I don't know how, how meaningful it would be, but it, I imagine it could have some movement for some people changing their minds if several congressional Republicans came forward and said, listen, the stuff that's being revealed here." is really important and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah. And these are these this has major implications for future elections and it's time for Republicans to come out, condemn what happened on January 6th, 
Donald Trump is uniquely responsible for all of this hell that has been inflicted. Yeah. And it's time to really pay attention. Unfortunately, they have more fear of Donald Trump and his base than they do love of the country and our democracy. Yeah. Just the way it is. Well, speaking of the reasonable aspects or the, the these individuals within the party who are quiet, there are also your others like the Rudy Giuliani's that I'm talking about, who have ostensibly up to this point kind of presented themselves as the rational actors and the respectable types who are really unhinged and have played a role in attempting to overthrow the government by overturning an election like uh, Clarence Thomas's wife. Jenny Thomas, yeah. yes, which uh, this is a few days old at this point. But again, with the news cycle, I feel like anything Jenny Thomas related is just not talked about enough, given that it just gets buried. The wife of a Supreme Court justice was emailing electors trying to get them to dozens of them. Well, and that's what previous reporting said was that two uh, legislators, not not electors, ha- that she had emailed two to help overturn the election in favor of Donald Trump. Which was way off. And instead, we actually know that it was 29. So my great colleague, Emma Brown, broke this story thanks to Arizona public records law that allows us to see some of these emails. And really, the significance of this, Katie, can't be understated. Ginny Thomas, twice in November and also in December, pressed Arizona state legislators, half of the ones that were half of the Republicans, by the way, that represent that state, 29 in all, arguing to them that they should not fall to pressure from the media and political actors and that they should lead by resisting the election results in Arizona. She claimed falsely that they were fraudulent and that is why they needed to not certify, not agree that these election results were accurate and fight them all the way. Here's what else is really interesting about this, Katie. While Emma's breaking this news about what Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, was up to, it happens that President Trump was up to something very similar. He had summoned, as you will recall, the legislative leaders of the Michigan legislature to the Oval Office to make the same request of them. This is right in the wake of basically every reasonable human and all of the arbiters of the administration announcing that Joe Biden had won the election election fair and square by quite a large margin. And the pressure is on from the president, and now we know his henchwoman, Ginny Thomas, to block states in swing states from agreeing that those are the right results. The president also at the time, Donald Trump, was summoning Pennsylvania state legislative leaders to the White House also to put the hard press on them to keep them from agreeing that these were the results that Biden won that state as well. Let me ask you, you, you talk about a link between Judy Thomas and Donald Trump. Do we know if they've had any direct conversations? Is there any reporting to support that? 
We don't know the answer to that question, which is pretty interesting. It would be uh, not shocking for Ginny Thomas, a sort of standard bearer in her part of the Republican Party, to have a conversation with the president, the, the, the titular head of the Republican Party. It would not be unusual. We don't have any reporting. And she's not said specifically uh, anything about her conversations writ large with the president. There's also someone she talks to rather regularly, Katie, or did, and that was Mark Meadows. So that's another way in which all of these forces, all of Team Trump, were essentially trying to block this peaceful transfer power. But very early on, right as Biden is announced the winner by all of the arbiters of this, the Associated Press, broadcast stations, and again, the president's own administration, the president and Ginny Thomas are working double time to stop swing states from saying, yeah, that's okay. So 20 members of the Arizona House, seven Arizona state senators, according to this reporting that represents more than half of the Republican members of the state legislature at the time, and saying things like they reminding them that they had the quote unquote power to fight back against fraud, uh, to ensure that a clean slate of electors is chosen. This reporting makes me wonder, uh, kind of in step with the political reporting that we talked about, where the the GOP plan to contest elections and the tapes that were revealed. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder what Ginny Thomas is doing right now in step with with those types of individuals that are looking to put things in place now, placing operatives as poll workers, like working to do things right now, not just these things that we knew that she was doing at the time of the election, but what is she doing right now? Forward looking in a, in a criminal conspiracy, criminal conspiracy type manner to, to inflict this will upon the people in the future. Right. And how much of this is she talking to Clarence Thomas about? I love that we're expected to believe that they come home at the end of the day and they don't have right. any political Nonsense. conversations whatsoever. They don't talk about their jobs. They don't talk about politics. They just sit there in silence. And listen, this was a wide-ranging criminal conspiracy that wasn't just entered into allegedly, 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 by... Donald Trump and Jenny Thomas. It was also Lindsey Graham, who we know called and pressured Brad Raffensperger (laughs) also. So who else? I mean, I think it's very likely we'll find out over the course of these hearings that there were at least one or two others that we know were contacting out of the scope of their authority in in a manner consistent with interfering with the election, unduly influencing someone to change the outcome of a settled result. Well, and also according to this reporting, one of the lawmakers who received one of her emails was a then state rep, uh, Anthony Kern, a Stop the Steal supporter. He lost his reelection bid in November 2020, but then he joined with Louis Gohmert mm-hmm. and uh, other people as a plaintiff in a lawsuit against Mike Pence. Yeah. Which was uh, an effort to overturn Biden's victory. So he was also photographed outside the Capitol during January 6th. Like these are the people that uh, were were in power, were receiving this email. And it just makes you wonder 
what's going to happen next time or what what's what's in the works right now i mean that's really what is scary you know the the other to coin your phrase scary thing is the fact that i think the the, the committee has done a fantastic job of really illustrating that donald trump absolutely did know that he lost that all kinds of people were saying no 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 we lost. No, no, no. You can't go and announce that you won the election. No, no, no. We got to wait. No, no, no. That's not the thing. This is fake. Bill Barr called it bullshit. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Yeah. So anyway, we'd love to know what you think about these and, and other matters related to the election, related to the committee. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. The other issue that we have been talking about, that we have been dealing with, that we have been thinking about is gun reform in this country with the the continued spate of mass shootings that we have to go through on, a, on an almost day-to-day basis in America. It looks like we may, we may, one more time, we may get something done. Not enough, not nearly enough, but some movement of progress. What's being touted as the most significant deal on new gun legislation in decades could be on the president's desk in weeks, says the GOP's lead negotiator. I think there's a desire to get this thing done sooner rather than later. The framework, agreed to by at least 10 Republicans needed to pass a bill, includes incentives for states to enact so-called red flag laws that allow courts to temporarily take guns away from people deemed dangerous. The plan also includes more money for mental health and school security and sets up a mandatory review of juvenile and mental health records for gun buyers under 21. That step may have stopped the 18-year-old Uvalde shooter from buying his weapons. Today, residents there reacting to the proposed deal. I think the bipartisan deal that they may pass is a small first step. I think they have a long way to go. Other communities rocked by gun violence are also watching closely, from Newtown to Parkland. I don't think this package goes nearly far enough. While the bill's exact language is still being crafted, the agreement would also close the so-called boyfriend loophole, preventing dating partners, not just spouses, in domestic violence cases from having guns. I think that it's a start in the right direction. Do you think the system failed your daughter? Oh, definitely. Pamela Riley's daughter, Rosemary, was a nursing student in Michigan when her ex-boyfriend shot and killed her and then himself in 2016. To me, the only justice for her is that she wouldn't have died in vain by helping other families. The NRA has opposed closing the boyfriend loophole before, but the group has not taken a position yet on the framework for the gun deal, saying it will review the final bill. So one thing that really stands out to me about that clip is that the NRA is um, opposed to closing the boyfriend loophole. Of course. And the the loophole is that federal law bars firearm purchases for those convicted of domestic violence against someone they have been married to, lived with, or with whom they have a child, but it omits other dating partners. Right. So I just, I don't understand how someone could be opposed to this a person who has been involved in a domestic violence situation obtaining a weapon i mean it seems like a pretty low fucking bar 
I mean, I, I know we don't expect a lot from the NRA, but this is so right. this is so basic when it comes to improving safety, when it comes to gun legislation. And it seems like maybe something that they would be willing to negotiate on. But the fact that they're not really shows you where they're at. Yeah, I think that they see the writing on the wall that if they give up any room at all, ideologically, that it might start to cave in on them. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know. But they're definitely, it's a fucking grift with these people, that Wayne LaPierre and and the rest of them. They're making money hand over fist. Now, in recent years, the NRA has faced some some tough times. They've been accusations of funneling Russian money into campaigns. It's not been great for them. Uh, They tried to file bankruptcy to dissolve their organization in New York and then restart in Texas. A lot of behind-the-scenes subterfuge. But... um, I think they see the writing on the wall. Yeah, so I think the important thing to remember here is that the legislation has not yet been drafted, so we don't actually know what the final bill is going to contain. This is just the, the these are just the provisions that they have agreed on uh, allowing into the bill. We don't actually know what it's going to look like. So And you know, look, let's be honest with one another. There could be a mansion-esque not that necessarily him specifically, but in the style of Joe Manchin pulling the rug out from under the whole deal at the last minute. Who fucking knows? Yeah. So so uh, before we get to asshole today and taking care of biz, we want to talk about something that happened in our home state of Idaho this last weekend that is just, one, not surprising, but shocking nonetheless. 31 members of the white supremacist group Patriot Front were arrested at a pride event in northern Idaho planning to riot. Prosecutors in northern Idaho charging these 31 men with conspiracy to riot. They're affiliated with the national hate group Patriot Front. Cops say they stopped the group's riot plot when they arrested members on Saturday near a gay pride event in Coeur d'Alene. They say the group planned and prepared to sabotage the small town's annual LGBTQ celebration. Before it happened, the police chief says somebody called 911 and reported, as he put it, a little army of people loading into a U-Haul at a nearby hotel. About 10 minutes later, he says cops pulled over that truck. In it, he says they found riot gear, including shields, shin guards, and a smoke grenade. Some of us were a bit surprised by not only the level of um, preparation that we saw, but the equipment that was um, that was carried and worn uh, by those individuals, along with the large amount of equipment that was left in the van when the when the stop happened. Uh, that level of preparation is not something you see every day. It was very clear to us immediately that this was a riotous group. So the FBI is now joining local police to investigate the white supremacist group and its alleged riot plot. Here's CNBC's Valerie Castro. We're not going back to the days of the Aryan nations. The Coeur d'Alene mayor referencing Idaho's past history with white supremacy just days after Coeur d'Alene police say they dismantled an alleged riot plot by Patriot Front, an alt-right group just a few blocks away from a weekend pride festival. These guys stopped a U-Haul full of dudes. Police say the men they arrested came from several states assembling in Idaho at a local hotel before loading up into the truck. We didn't have any intelligence that there was going to be a riotous group coming to this event prior to the 911 call we received. 
Regardless, police say they had an increased presence around the event and stopped the truck just short of its intended position, according to an operational plan found on one of the alleged members. Uh, it also included the use of a smoke grenade once uh, an appropriate level of confrontation uh, was met by that group. I have no doubt in my mind that had that van stopped at the park or much near the park, that we still would have ended up in a riot situation. Patriot Front, according to the Anti-Defamation League, is a Texas-based white supremacist group that formed after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2017. The group's alleged founder and leader, Thomas Russo, was among those arrested Saturday. Investigators say they haven't pinpointed why the group may have targeted a pride event in Coeur d'Alene, but the ADL says nothing is out of the question. The reality is that organized white supremacists continue to coordinate, plan events, distribute propaganda, and they look to target what they consider vulnerable communities, Jewish communities, black communities, and certainly the LGBTQ community is very much on their radar screen. The Coeur d'Alene Police Department says it's received more than 140 phone calls since the arrests, about half coming from local citizens praising law enforcement for their swift actions. But the other half, police say, are anonymous callers screaming and yelling and in some cases making death threats directed at police. At least one call came from as far away as Norway. An attorney for one of the men arrested claims the group isn't known for violence and says this is a First Amendment issue. Shep. All right. Valerie Castro, thank you. So I love Sheps. All right. <laughs> what I wish they would have talked about is the origins of Patriot Front and this this Russo douchebag. Um, they used to be called Vanguard America, and they are a group that you may have heard of because they 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 were they had a very heavy presence at the Unite the Right Charlottesville rally, and one of their members killed Heather Heyer. So. After that and all the bad publicity and everything else, they branched off and started another group called Patriot Front, but it's the same fucking thing. These are neo-Nazis, white separatists, white supremacists who are absolutely not just um, going to target people based on their race, but they're going to take part in the larger culture war that is being inflamed by people like Tucker Carlson on an almost nightly basis. Yeah, and I I don't remember what the person that they were interviewing there said about why they targeted Pride, but the reason that white supremacists are against immigration, gay rights, abortion, it's all the same. It all comes back to the Great Replacement Theory. It all comes back to white birth rates. A, 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 A healthy, robust, domestic supply of babies, as Samuel Alito put it. So there, this is a problem that is very concerning in Idaho right now. There is a resurgence of far right white supremacist activity, especially in northern Idaho. Yeah, this is miles away from where the the white supremacist compound Aryan nations used to be. Yeah, that's why you heard the mayor say we're not going back to Aryan nations. So if you're listening to this thinking, wow, Idaho has a severe problem. Yes, it does. But these people also came from 11 other states. Washington, Oregon, Texas, Utah, Colorado, South Dakota, Illinois, Wyoming, Virginia, and Arkansas. I think there was an outsized percentage of these idiots from Utah. Yeah, so your state is not immune from white supremacists, white power activists that are looking to mobilize, looking to join with like-minded people that are going to create... uh, 
pain and devastation if they are successful in an endeavor like this one that this this uh, Patriot Front tried to pull at Pride. And I think this is a good reminder because the cops said they had no intelligence. They didn't know that there was going to be a riot. It took someone seeing these goofballs load into a U-Haul where they're all standing next to each other, standing up in a U-Haul. Someone called 911 and said, there's a little army of people loading up in this U-Haul. This looks concerning. I think this is a reminder to people. If you see something weird like this happening. Call. Call. Be nosy. Yeah, listen, this is the same group. It is your business. This is the same group a few months ago that here in D.C., when they tried to escape, they got chased back onto their U-Haul. And I think a couple of them got bludgeoned. If you remember that moment, it was dark at night. There was video hmm. and they were being pounded because they were Nazis hmm. and they got chased out of wherever they were here in the Northern Virginia area. Yeah. So, yeah. So I would say some people think it's not my business, whatever it is your business. It's all of our responsibility to prevent this kind of thing whenever we can. Because if this hadn't been prevented, who knows? Absolutely. How this would have ended. Absolutely. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Pastor Dylan Oz. Dylan Oz. A-W-E-S. Like Oz. And this is, he's a hate pastor yeah. who has hateful things to say about the LGBTQ community. There seems to be more and more and more of them too. More vocal, m- more that want the camera on them. Well, and the reason that I want to talk about this is because according to the AP, just a few weeks before the uh, 31 white supremacists traveled to northern Idaho to disrupt a pride event, a fundamentalist Idaho pastor told his Boise congregation that gay, lesbian, and transgender people should be executed by the government. And then also you had a Republican representative, Heather Scott, that told an audience that drag queens and other LGBTQ supporters were waging a, quote, war of perversion against our children. Yeah, this is the language they love. So this clip is going to be difficult for some people to listen to. But I I just want to give that kind of warning before we play it. And also a reminder that this kind of language has the ability to mobilize people to do terrible things. And that is why it is so important that we recognize it is out there and not ignore it. What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022, here in the New Testament, here in the book of Romans, that they are worthy of death? These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says. You don't like it. You don't like God's word because that is what God says. Ignoring, well, I tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll do something similar to what Ted Lieu did on the floor of the house uh, a week or so ago. He said, I'm going to quote the things that Jesus talked about related to, to gay humans. Nothing. Nothing was said. Mm-hmm. This man enjoys tax-free status. That's the first thing that I thought of. As a pastor. Yeah. He doesn't pay taxes. 
he doesn't pay property taxes. He gets to leech off the government while calling for the death of his fellow Americans. Well, we actually had a conversation recently. Someone asked us, they're like, what, why is that? Why Why are churches tax exempt? And I think that we said, ultimately, we weren't totally sure, but that it is based on the presumption that they do a lot of charity work. That, that that's is a primarily why. Yeah. why. And what charity work is this guy doing? <laughs> Calling for the murder of, well, of Americans. Even that dipshit from Tennessee, uh, Greg Locke, he also claims, oh, 90, we give 90% of everything away. No way. They're just liars and grifters and hate mongers. This person could be responsible for the death of another human being. And I'm sure that's exactly what Jesus would want. Right. So if you are wondering how do 31 people get mobilized to travel from 11 different states to meet in this one place to do this thing, it is because they hear people like this talk. Yes. And it is important to recognize these threats and to keep your head on a swivel and know what the threats are. Because this is only going to get worse before it gets better. Because we don't have a, a government with an appetite to do the right fucking thing in these cases. And I'm not just talking about taking away this guy's um, tax-exempt status. I'm talking about taking away his freedom. This person should be arrested and charged. But we're not going to see that. All right. Moving on. Taking care of biz. Katie Porter. Yes. Katie Porter has been here before in Taking Care of Biz. This time it is for her comments on gun regulations. And so there's there's two clips here because we couldn't just have one because it is Katie Porter. We want to hear her talk as much as possible. Uh, one of these is for you, though, Jesse, because I know that you liked one of them in particular where she goes head to head with Heritage Foundation's Amy Swearer. Oh, yeah, yeah. We won't talk about that yet. We'll play the first clip where she talks specifically about how there is no federal safety standard for guns. From 2015 to 2020, there were at least 2,070 unintentional shootings by children. 765 of those children died. A consumer product that causes this much harm to the public would normally be subject to a recall. But federal law prohibits the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the agency responsible for protecting the public from dangerous products from regulating guns. This is absurd. After one child died using a Peloton treadmill last year, the Consumer Product Safety Commission intervened and recalled the product. But when hundreds of children die using guns, there is no federal response. There is no federal safety standard for guns. Of course, I can hear the opposition now. We do not have a constitutional right to Pelotons. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, there's still a way to make guns safer. I mean, we right. can talk about... The technology exists to have a... Th I mean, you, you can't get into your fucking phone without your thumbprint or your face. Yeah. The same kind of technology could be, could be integrated into guns and firearms. I mean, just come on. Mm -hmm. the, the, the other thing here is that, that her point should be well taken. If a kid dies because of a faulty stroller or a faulty car seat, mm -hmm. that shit gets recalled and reworked and put back on the market safely. Right. The, the same thing because guns get this special exemption in so many ways. They just get ignored. Right. Yeah. 
So here is that other moment that I really got a lot of joy out of. The, this <laughs> this little charlatan from from the Heritage Foundation, Amy Swearer, who really purports herself to be a gun expert and really used her time as a witness on this committee to to grandstand and make a name for herself, telling Katie Porter, how dare you? How dare you? All incredulous. I asked you if that bill was correct, if the bill would allow any gun owner to maintain possession, and you said yes, yet you testified that the bill would allow people to become felons overnight. Earlier today, you testified that you hoped that this was the last time you testified before Congress. For the sake of our nation and the integrity of this Congress, I, I Congress do too. After a mass shooting, trying to figure out how to solve a problem that we are all heavily invested in solving. Ms. Swear, that is I have not point of order. Point of order. How dare you? Reclaiming my time. How dare you misstate the law? How dare you ask legislation that you do not even want an answer to? Miss Swearer, I'm moving on. Little Miss Swearer living here in D.C., working for Heritage Foundation, running her mouth, not in an effort to actually make things better for this problem, but trying to stand in the gap for the gun industry and the gun lobby when hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children every year are being killed at the end of a barrel of a gun. And luckily we have... Katie Porter to yes. be very direct Again, that is the, and very succinct. This was a taking care of biz and not an asshole of today. So, yes, thank you, Katie Porter. <laughs> yes. So we know that a lot of this was heavy on the show today, but we like to end it on a positive note with taking care of biz. So Sorry, hopefully, guys. hopefully that was enough levity for you toward the end here, or at least giving you some optimism, something to hope for, something to feel good about rather than uh feel terrible and like everything is a hellhole okay things are listen <laughs> we are making progress maybe not the kind of progress as quickly or as much as we'd like in the moment but things are being done and it is through your activism your organization and your vote that things will continue to get better Anyway, we'd love to hear from you, 657-464-7609, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We'd love your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can pick your tier, see exactly how involved you want to be. We'd love to see you on the team. We love you. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.